knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show, The Ryan Jesperson Show, on 630 Chen, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Our thanks to Danielle Boudreaux for one of the more powerful hours I can remember. Thanks to those of you who contributed to this conversation, whether or not your messages were read on the air, Danielle saw them, and thank you for passing those along. As mentioned, Valentine's Day, fast approaching. If you don't have a plan in place and you're expected to have one, you better get on it because Sunday is the big day. We thought it was a perfect time to put together a romance roundtable. And so for the next 53 minutes, we're going to spend some time with three experts kicking some ideas around and taking your thoughts and questions as submitted to our text line at 630-630. Elizabeth Manuel is a life coach and a happiness expert. You can find out more at what she does at elizabethmanuel.com. It's amazing to see you. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me in. A happiness expert has to have a beaming smile, and you're displaying yours right now. I'm interested to hear over the next little while the secret to achieving happiness. People and must ask you some. all the time. We know there are some. They will no longer be secrets after this hour of radio. Shh, don't tell. Corey Hrushka, uh, you perhaps have seen him. He does a lot of media on behalf of his responsibilities at Insight Psychological. He's a registered psychologist and a certified sex therapist. Corey, those two don't necessarily go hand in hand, do they? No, no they don't. So some people will do marriage and family therapy, um, and usually they'll deal with some sexuality stuff, but some people don't touch sex at all. No pun intended. <laughs> You're not afraid to take some tough questions. I love them. Okay. We'll put some questions in front of Corey Hrushka in just a bit. And Wanda Awasiak is the founder, president, and CEO of the Tessa Loren matchmaking firm. You can find her online at tessaloren.com. What's behind that name? Okay, so I've had that question asked me all the time, and half the time people call me Tessa Loren. So I'm glad I picked a name I liked. <laughs> but Tessa stands for... We all want to love and be loved. And Loren stands for to build, you know, a solid, you know, a good, long lasting, healthy relationship. It needs to be built on a solid foundation. And that's where I got Loren from. So Tessa Loren is just, just that. Does the matchmaking business pick up around Valentine's Day? Um, for women, not for men. Men are all about New Year's Eve. Women are all about Valentine's Day. Really? So men don't want to be alone when the clock strikes 12, January 1st. Right. Women don't want to be alone on February 14th? Correct. Why do you and think it, that and is? it's awkward for men because men are like, I'm, if I just met her, I just date her, it's Valentine's Day, do I have to buy her something? Do I not? Like, it, it just becomes an awkward situation for the men. Corey, in your context, in your area of expertise, does Valentine's Day carry any significance? Does it prompt feelings with those that visit your office? Uh, I guess I get two sides. Some of the, mostly it's the guys that are fearful of what, you know, you have this big special event and they're usually not sure what to do for that time and how to plan a very good date or a Valentine's kind of event. And so you get lots of guys asking about, yeah, how do I do this well? Um, so you don't break those expectations. Now, you're a psychologist. So, I mean, you're, 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 you're breaking things down for people at a pretty existential level. I would imagine sometimes the home runs and also the strikeouts on Valentine's Day are probably just microcosms of, of bigger issues or bigger victories, right? I would say yes. I would support that. Elizabeth, as a happiness expert, 
I would imagine for some people, Valentine's Day is a very happy time. For a lot of other people, it, it might be the day that they've got cut right out of their calendar, the day they'd like to just skip past. Not everyone can be happy on Valentine's Day. There is a lot of challenge around Valentine's Day, especially for someone who is single and thinking, well, I don't have a Valentine, and so there could be some extra depression or unhappiness around it, thinking it's just a stupid day. What I'd like to help people with is to see Valentine's Day as a day to be more loving. Whether you are single or in a relationship, most people are looking for love. If we turn that around and we are love, we express love, whether that is with family or friends, if you're single, you could get together with other friends and create a lovely Valentine's experience that's filled with love. It's simply not romantic love. Hmm. Well, I'm going to cut in here because I hear a lot of single people say, well, that day is only Happy Single Awareness Day. <laughs> Right, because it just makes them more aware that they're single, right? Well, that is that could be true, and yet what I know from my experience in terms of happiness is that when we are loving, when we express love, whether that's with children, with friends, with other family members, it elevates our neural chemicals in our brain and we feel better. So instead of approaching Valentine's from a sense of lack or loss, I don't have the love of my life, if we turn that around and create love in whatever capacity works for us, if that's having a dinner, or it might be treating yourself to some really special, delightful treats. It might be having a reflexology treatment or going for a massage or treating yourself to a spa experience. Whatever it is for you to demonstrate lovingness, whether that's for yourself or with others, will elevate those positive neurochemicals in the brain and alleviate depression. I think one of the things to think about, there's a term called self-fulfilling prophecy. And so kind of whatever you put out there kind of sets in motion where you're going to go. And so if you're depressed because you're single, then you might fall along that path and most people don't want to be around depressed people unless they're already depressed and so if you're looking at putting out that good energy or that you know I'm going to go there I'm going to chase that then people tend to be attracted to people who are happy motivated with focus in terms of that area so you you kind of what I'm hearing is and I get to sit in the middle here and saying is you're both right but for different reasons and so that's just one thing I'd like to bring forward is you know what you're putting out there and what you're aiming for is kind of what you tend to get more of. So it's hard to switch that mindset when you're in a sad, depressed, lonely kind of situation to go, how is that? How is going to anyone want to be with you if you're in that sad, depressed, lonely kind of mindset? Can we shift that? How do we shift that? And kind of take some of that principle that you're talking about from that happiness kind of lens because people tend to be attracted more to those types of people too. Absolutely. My sister's a counseling psychologist in Vancouver. She always talks about manifesting destiny, manifesting a positive destiny or a negative. That's essentially the same thing as what you're talking about. Uh, Now, in your I, I actually, I was about to say in your coaching of your clients in the matchmaking process, but that's me assuming you coach them. What goes into the matchmaking process? I mean, is Corey onto something there? Or are you telling some guy who's moping around or some gal who's down in the dumps, hey, you got to pull yourself out of this first? Well, it, it, our clients are great. There's no one that comes in that's really depressed and down because we wouldn't be able to take, you know, we don't take them on because all, and, and there's times where there are people that are going to be 
feeling lonely and, and they're looking to find the one. And we do definitely do coaching. I coach all my clients. We go through gentleman coaching. But on the other side, there is a little technique that we do just to help them uh, switch, make a switch up there in the brain. Because I said, if, you, if you're going to stay the same, then I'm just going to give you what you're attracted to. And they're coming to me to have something different and to meet someone different. So in order to do that, we just do a little tweaking and um, just to look at things differently. It's, who's it's all in, in the psyche. Who's employing a matchmaker these days? Who, who are your clients? Um, they're all professionals. So I have a lot of executives, VPs, business owners, doctors, engineers. And things. why are they coming to you? Because they're too busy. They don't have time to waste. I mean, they don't need me to hook them up. It's just that they're too busy. They don't have time or they don't want to put their face on a profile. Um, you know, I've had local figure, um, public figures that don't want anyone to know. Um, so like who? <laughs> nice try. Um, so these are the people that don't want to be on Tinder or Plenty of Fish or Harmony, EMAT, whatever, you know, Match.com, all that kind of stuff they don't want. And they don't want to play the numbers game online. You know, it's just a numbers game. With, with me, it's kind of meeting through a friend. And we're so dis- and we're very discreet and confidential. So when they do meet that someone, then it's always met through a friend. Right? Um, and a lot of them, I have quite a few clients that are even new to Edmonton that just don't know anybody here yet. Has the course of finding happiness or fulfillment changed, or are the principles the same as they've been for dozens or hundreds or even thousands of years? Well, what I know is that people think happiness is in the wrong thing. So we chase the idea of happiness, and we look for it in external. So I'll be happy when I have this wonderful relationship. And then what happens is we get married which is often called the happiest day of our lives, which means that after that we have nothing to look forward to. We get married, and then after 18 months to two years, the glow dissipates. And then we're going, okay, so now I'm married, and I'm stuck with this person, and I don't feel as happy as I once did. So now it's time to up the ante and create more happiness by deliberately having habits, attitudes, and behaviors, which you can create with your spouse, of connection, of intimacy, keeping that relationship alive will absolutely increase your happiness. When we feel connected to our spouse, we have more oxytocin, which is called the bonding hormone, and we feel better. So for this Valentine's Day, if you are already in relationship, then I would use this day as a way to amplify up that level of love. So rather than putting expectations on the day should look like this romantic commercial, choose to be love. What would be a loving thing that you could do for your spouse or significant other and vice versa? What could they do for you? Perhaps you'd like to create a meal together. Another one of my clients who has two young children who are six and eight have a Valentine's Day dinner with their children and they light candles and they make dinner together and they make it a whole family love fest. So there's many ways to explore happiness in that respect. Corey, as soon as Elizabeth said oxytocin, you started nodding. You picked that up, yes. Um, Because I can talk a little bit about oxytocin because in um, sexuality and um, relationship stuff, just building on what uh, she was talking about is in order to help release oxytocin, there's some interesting research where um, making eye contact releases oxytocin, touch, hugs. Um, There's been some uh, somewhat controversial research about differences in men and women's 
in terms of how they release. For instance, when women talk, they tend to release more in oxytocin, but when men talk, they don't seem to have that same kind of dynamic. So you'll get, you know, if you're wanting her to have more oxytocin release as a guy, let her talk and be able to listen to her well. Um, Easier said than done sometimes. (laughs) Kissing releases oxytocin, sex releases oxytocin, and dopamine, which is another pleasure chemical that people tend to chase quite a bit. Um, So there's, yeah, there's a few good chemicals kind of playing around in there. Sex is an important element to a relationship, but where it should be on the list of priorities would probably be different if you talk to different people. I think that's a safe assumption. Although it looks like all three of my studio guests are kind of contemplating what I've just asserted. We'll give them a couple of seconds to think about it. When we come back with Corey Harushka, registered psychologist and certified sex therapist, Wanda Awasik, president and CEO of the Tesla Ren matchmaking firm, and Elizabeth Manuel, a life coach and happiness expert, we'll go there. Talk on sex leading up to Valentine's Day here on 630 Chad. You're listening to The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. On the text line to 630, 630, through this romance roundtable, we're calling it, Craig says this whole Valentine's Day thing is, is just a big farce and a money gimmick, and all you do is fight crowds for overpriced dinners. Why can't people just make their spouse feel special and loved all year long. That from Craig, our guest in studio this hour, life coach and happiness expert Elizabeth Manuel, professional matchmaker Wanda Owasiak, and registered psychologist, certified sex therapist Corey Harushka. You've got big plans this weekend, Corey. <laughs> Uh, you had to know I was going to bring it up. Of course. Why? Well, we were just talking about it. Yeah, we got a doing a conference this weekend uh, called Lupercalia, which is kind of a, a BDSM conference. So I was saying there's there's always a good story to tell and an experience to see. For those that aren't familiar, BDSM is, is bondage. Bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Yeah. This, now, this would be probably perceived... I think, Brian, you should go with them and then give us, like... Well, I see... I'm just checking out the website at lupercalia-edmonton, and it kicks off with a toga party on Friday. tonight. Which sounds... Will you be toga up? I will be toga-ing up. Is toga-ing a verb? I don't know. (laughs) Some people will... They'll they'll, they'll hear of bondage discipline and sadomasochism, and and they'll think of, of, you know, the gimp from Pulp Fiction, and (laughs) and they'll think, this is so out of my wheelhouse, I couldn't possibly wrap my mind around it. But, But it's an area... Is it an important area to delve into exploring is, your sexuality? I think there is a lot of people are afraid to approach that. Uh, when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, I think there was became a very popular book. My question is, how come? Why? Because there's a lot of people who are interested in pushing some of those boundaries in terms of power play, um, higher intensity, I'll call them extreme sports in the bedroom or however like that. That doesn't necessarily have to have a link directly to sexuality, but you still get some of those chemicals. You still get these connections, building relationship stuff. And you can do those in a healthy way when we have a lot of consensual boundaries and rules regarding that. But people historically have viewed it as, you know, and you can have healthy kink and you can have very unhealthy kink. And so it's uh, this the conference is really focused on, you know, no messing around in terms of the boundaries and the rules and the respect for that. And so they're, I find them actually, it's almost a refreshing openness regarding people talking about really what they like and no matter what that might be and being able to accept those dynamics and decide if you want to, you know, yay or nay regarding that. Has the way that we perceive so-called kink 
changed over the years? Oh, totally. Historically, it, um, I'll call it kink, but a lot of the, the I was saying the DSM, which is a diagnostic and statistical manual for looking at diagnosing mental health issues, used to diagnose, you know, if you were gay, it used to be a mental disorder. If you were uh, trans, transgendered, that's a mental disorder because you needed, sometimes you need to get funding and that's the only way you could get funding from insurance. Um, this last version, they actually delisted kink which would have been a lot of the, you know, I'll call it lay fetishes or light fetishes, philias and stuff like that. Um, and they only said it's only a problem when it becomes problematic in their life rather than just an interest or a, a focus. Now, it's not just one type of person. You can't just pigeonhole those that would that would uh, be inclined, right? So how does a matchmaker approach that? Because you're not just looking for people that, that will enjoy the same restaurants, Wanda. I mean, you're trying to put people together that can coexist. I've, I've had, you know, I mean, obviously we discuss religion, their interests, morals and values have to be in line. And there's, there's many guys that say, I, I, make, I just really want her to be... Um, a sexually active, right? Like, because they're worried that, especially if they've been divorced, right? And sometimes <laughs> their marriage it, it can it could dwindle. So now they're gonna they want to find someone new, and they want they want to have what they didn't have in their last relationship. So again, I, I can only go so far. We draw the line somewhere, right? I'll send them to you, Craig. Corey and I <laughs> talked earlier about normal. So if we think about normalizing sexuality, normal could be, if you look at statistics, that some people are only having sex four times a year. And that, to me, is an awful statistic. Because having a foundation, and the word that both Corey and I like to use, is a healthy sex life. Whatever that means between two people is so important for a long-term, sustainable relationship. And again, between those two people, what those two people choose to play at is up to them. And the reason that Fifty Shades of Grey became so popular was because it opened the door for people to have those conversations that might be difficult with their spouse or significant other. And these could be conversations ranging from, why don't we have sex more often? Why do you always pressure me for sex? Could we install a swing onto our bedroom ceiling or <laughs> could we bring in the babysitter right i mean like mm -hmm. i shouldn't say that let me that, that maybe assuming the babysitter's 18 but my point is just bring in someone else get a little bit more oh boy the phone lines are going to light up here but get a little bit more adventurous but these these are these are big topics i mean you t you talk about maybe something that would really push the boundaries of an existing sexual relationship and it could send the message to that person to your partner to your spouse to your lover that you're unfulfilled that you're unhappy right that's a real area we want to be careful how we approach it and that's why having a coach or a counselor or a psychologist is important you don't want to be accusatory you know you're not doing this for me however when you have a healthy, close relationship, being able to talk about what you'd like to try, being open, and for some time, for some people, I suggest write down a few moderate, mild things. You don't go into the extreme, and maybe each person puts them into a jar and you pick it out. And it could be just something really light and fun that you've never tried, and you give each other permission to try something that you haven't done, which brings more closeness and intimacy back into your relationship. Was the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey a good thing for relationships? I think it 
it sparked a conversation in both ways because it was somewhat controversial because some people went, oh my, that's totally inappropriate and it's abuse. And, and then, you know, when we looked at, when you look deeper into it, you know, this was a contractual agreement. If you've watched a movie even or even, you know, read the book, um, she consented to the whole process. And even though it looked pretty intense and it was violent, she will set her boundaries on what she's willing to ultimately accept. And at least in the end of the first movie when they did it, it's, she set a boundary. And so a lot of that in sexuality and relationships is really learning to set set your boundaries on what you're willing to tolerate and accept. Know what is healthy or not is unhealthy. And then how are you going to navigate that with your other person? Yeah, I've never seen, I, you know, I never read the book. I've never seen the movie. How come? I'm satisfied. <laughs> That's Wanda Wasik, a professional matchmaker. Corey Rushka is a registered psychologist and sex therapist. Elizabeth Manuels, a life coach and happiness expert. We're back with our romance roundtable after these news headlines. This is The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. This romance roundtable uh, prompting a strong audience response. You can text us to 630-630. Corey Rushka from Insight Psychological, a registered psychologist, certified sex therapist, Wanda Awasik, the founder, president, and CEO. You can find out what she does at her professional matchmaking firm at tessaloren.com. And elizabethmanuel.com is where you will find resources from our life coach and happiness expert in studio. Uh, Wanda, an interesting question here from a listener. Well, I don't know if it's interesting, maybe an obvious question wondering if, if you do gay arrangements and they're wondering what the success rate is like with those are, are they any different so I don't I don't do any gay arrangements and I've had lots of people that are gay approach me wanting to match me but this is because we do a selective search so when our clients come to us we're out there seeking him as match so I can easily go up to two women and say oh, are you single and if I go up to a guy and say, excuse me, are you single? There's this guy I know that really like you. And if he's not gay, and if he's homophobic, I could get punched in the face. You know what I mean? Like, I could, like people would, could get mad at me. You really? You're doing that. Well, okay, so if I approach you, mm-hmm. well, okay, but you're not homophobic, so. Yeah. So, okay, but if you A were, guy told me on Twitter be? that I was handsome yesterday, and I was proud to retweet it, because I guess I'm just not threatened by that. Well, well, it's a compliment. Flattered either way. Yeah. So you don't do it at all. You think you're missing out on business? Sure. Sure, possibly. Is it different when you're counseling gay clients, Corey? Are, are, are gay relationships any different in dynamic than straight relationships? Yes and no. I would say, as, I mean, there's a variability just like in straight relationships. There is kind of different roles that individuals will play within that system. And so sometimes those will match, you know, a straight relationship. The gay and straight relationships look, even though the gender is the same, they take on a, a more masculine or I'll call it more feminine role or pattern interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, I mean, it's all over the place. Um, I would say as guys will tend to have more of an increase in sex drive and or willingness to try new and novel things from the sexuality perspective. But the, You're saying gay men tend to have a higher sex drive? Yeah, we're, we're more sexually kind of active or desire in terms of that system, but that's not all of them. So it's just... But you know, I'm going to interrupt, sorry, but the, I know a lot of gay people and the, the community here is quite small. and. A lot of them know each other, or they've heard of that person, or you know. So you get a lot of that too. Is it any different? And does this have any relevance to what you practice, I Elizabeth? Have a number of gay clients as well in my coaching practice, and I've come up with what I call the pink job, blue job, and that doesn't matter whether you're male or female, gay or not gay. And again, it's the way that we share responsibilities in the home and in the family. 
and I, in my family, mow the lawn. So that, in some places, you might think that's a typical male job, but I just go pink and blue. So in my case, mowing the lawn is a pink job, and other things my husband might do. Some people might say, well, that's a female job, and it's the same in gay relationships. So I help people to identify, well, what is it that you do in your house and what is it that your spouse or significant other does? And rather than doing the eye for the eye where each person is supposed to have, well, you're supposed to do the dishes every second day to make it equal, we say, okay, well, what do you naturally tend to do more of? And what does your spouse naturally tend to do more of? And think about it in terms of pink jobs, blue jobs, and notice each other and appreciate each other for what they're contributing, whether it's the same or different. We were having an interesting conversation through the break uh, around the concept or the idea of growing into marriage. Mm -hmm. And Corey, I suppose that you could even go earlier in the process. People need to grow into relationships, right? And then grow into marriages. What does that look like? I mean, there's some, some people have written on, we're not really made for relationships so easy because they require, you have to push boundaries. You have to be able to navigate and negotiate with another person in terms of what you want. And that's hard. And so the only way to work on growing a relationship is to actively work on it. You, you, you can't do that so well by yourself, you know, as in you would do in individual therapy. So in order to kind of, see, because the dynamics between two individuals will change as soon as you change that other person. So with a lot of men who have you know fears of being trapped or you know lose losing their freedom um sometimes it's learning to teach them how to be able to have that freedom and or be able to become still strong in that relationship but still be for the team um rather than run away when they want their own space all relationships become complicated when there's more than one person <laughs> and then you add family, and then you get really more complicated because now you right, have to navigate right. two or three or four sets of relationships right. all within one big cluster. Right. Is this still a science, though, that can be defined to a certain extent along gender lines? I mean, are, are men less likely to be drawn to commitment or marriage? Are women more likely to need more love in the, you know, the love language of touch? I mean, do we still think along those lines, or is this kind of a fluid scale? It's more fluid. If you look at the book, The Five Love Languages, which is a wonderful foundation for people to understand the different ways that we love, there is physical touch, there is verbal affirmation, quality time, gifts, and acts of service. For myself, I am a high-touch person, and I'm now in a relationship which my spouse is also a high-touch person, which works. Previously, he was married to somebody who kept saying, quit pawing me because he's high touch and she wasn't. So if, and I have another client that's been married for 25 years, he's high touch, she isn't. But now that they understand different ways to express love, she makes more of an effort to be touchy for him and he makes more of an effort to love her in the a way that she feels most loved. My child is a gift person and it gifts doesn't mean you go out and buy the most expensive thing. It simply means here's this little thing I thought of you and it delights the person who is a gift person. If you're a verbal affirmation, constantly reaffirming. I love you, and here's the reasons why. I appreciate you, and here's the reasons why. I love gifts. 
<laughs> me, me too. So now we know. So I love your gifts love languages. and touch and everything that goes along with it. Corey, do you tend to think along gender lines? I mean, you're you're a registered psychologist. Does the practice of psychology rely on that, or does it eschew that? Well, I mean, there's a dilemma, and I, people have talked about it. Like, I've read some of the books and the research where they say there is, I mean, men's brains and women's brains are different. Are how significantly different are they? We tend to have tendencies, but some of those tendencies can look opposite too. Uh, the dilemma I say is the writing says that there's not that significant difference. In my office, I tend to see that difference, but my office is not the general population. So what happens is I'll see the individuals when they're having those problems, and those problems are be because there's too far of a difference or there's not that ability to, to navigate. But I'd say is my gut would say is there's like probably about 80-20. So 80% of the men are more um, avoidant um, and you know maybe uh, we call them avoidant attachment the tendency to run away or want to not feel, feel trapped if someone gets too close or kind of pushes them whereas it's about 20% of the women are kind of that style of pattern but that's in my office so it's hard for me to gauge like wow what's it really like out there because when I see normal people uh, not normal but the general population I'll see a lot more mixing and matching within that system than in my office the interesting thing is for men and I agree sometimes with what Corey's saying that sometimes men are more of the runaway I believe that comes from fear of emotions men aren't taught to value and allow their emotions and at the same time the research proves that men who are married or in a committed relationship are healthier and live longer than men who aren't Hmm. That's that's true. It's funny. Wanda, how do you see so this through your eyes? So many live longer. Come see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Bachelors do the worst. Single men do the worst in the overall level of emotional longevity of health. Once they get married, uh, we, single women were originally when I looked at the demographics. Single women did the best. But once, so it's funny that single women tend there's to an inverse relationship when they there. get into that relationship. How their overall you know, goes down and single men's kind of move right to the top. See, Wanda thought she was on to something, marketing to men. Now she really, all your female clients are going to leave if they could be healthier without a relationship, right? I mean, that's a bit old now, so I don't know how it's changed because it could have been just traditional where as soon as she gets into a relationship, she now takes care of him and he's not reciprocating. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot more reciprocation in relationships now than well, women are natural ago. nurturers. Morinville Joe on the text line says, uh, here's a tip for all the men when it comes to pink jobs and blue jobs, like what Elizabeth Manuel was talking about. Whenever a blue job turns pink, there's a very good chance it will never turn blue again. So strive to turn as many blue jobs into pink jobs as you possibly can. <laughs> there you have it. Words of wisdom from Morinville Joe, a regular listener to the show. We'll be right back after this quick break with uh, psychologist and sex therapist Corey Harush Wanda Awasik, a professional matchmaker, and Elizabeth Manuel, a happiness expert here on 630 Chad. You're listening to The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Thanks to those of you who've been in touch with the show. Some positive feedback, some negative feedback, which is just fine. Some of you are, are not happy at all that we're talking about issues like, like sex and, and especially kink. 
But at the same time, we get a message from a listener who says, I, I prefer to not give my name, but I'm so glad to hear people talking about healthy sex lives and, and kink relationships. Thank you for giving airtime to these ideas. Meantime, Sean says, I couldn't imagine uh, anything besides one-on-one activity in the bedroom. He says, it's weird enough if the dog happens to be watching. So, <laughs> there's not one solution that fits everyone. We can't bring three experts here into studio, Elizabeth Manuel, Corey Hrushka, and Wanda Wasik, and say, what's the formula that will guaranteed work? That's kind of why you're all in business. You have to find ways to customize. Well, this is the great thing. This is why I love being a coach, because we are not taught how to have excellent relationships. And if you ask almost every single teenager, whether it's a man or a woman, will say in the future they see themselves as getting married. And yet we're not taught throughout the whole educational system how to have an excellent relationship. And if you look around, there's not that many excellent role models either. So helping people have excellent relationships increases happiness and health. And interestingly, it will increase your financial well-being. So I believe that what I do is essential for the human race. And I'm sure other people who are helping those find healthy relationships and build that intimacy and that trust in relationship, it's a very fulfilling and rewarding experience. Which really just comes down to one word, and that's communication. Communication, trust. There's a few foundations there, but it's like cooking. Sex and food are quite related, or even relationships. Everyone's going to have a different palate, and that palate will change as you go through life and age. And so what you might have liked earlier on, you might have a flavor of that later on, but it might morph and grow the more types of foods and different things you experience. Or you might be one of those that just likes to go to, you know, your Boston pizza every day with the same pizza, and that's that's how you like it. And Here on 630 Chad, we, we would appreciate if you'd say royal pizza. Royal pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll fit in the last break of this half hour. When we come back with Corey Hushka, Wanda Wasik, and Elizabeth Manuel, some closing thoughts leading up to Valentine's Day. But that's not what we're hanging this whole thing on. If you have a relationship-related question, now's the time to text it in to 630-630. Topher says, prudes to porn stars. It takes all kinds. Society needs to speak more openly about this kind of stuff. There's nothing to be ashamed about. He goes on to say including the gay community. We'll be right back after this. This is the Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Our romance roundtable. Time has flown with Registered psychologist, sex therapist, Corey Hrushka, professional matchmaker, Wanda Wasiak, and life coach, happiness expert, Elizabeth Manuel. Mark says there are no blue or pink jobs in our house. My wife and I both employed professionals from shoveling snow to cooking and laundry. We don't walk away from something hoping the other will do it. We communicate and talk at dinner, and we don't look at our phones. In fact, we don't even have the TV on. No one in a relationship is a mind reader. You must talk. That's such an awesome thing. In our family, it's the same. We do not bring phones to the table. However, I have to say there are times when I am removing the phone from my 20-year-old at the dinner table and saying it is not allowed here. And it is so important. And as Corey mentioned earlier, having eye contact with the people in your family, the people you profess to love the most, can bring 
just so much joy and happiness because it does release positive neurochemicals and people feel valued when you actually look at them. What impact do you perceive technology to have on relationships, Corey? It can, it can be both positive and negative, I would assume you'll say. I, I think, well, I mean, it's opened up the world to socializing in a text way, but I think it's decreased the ability to people to, like, literally do the social nuances and the social cues because they're not doing them as much. Um, so it's things are being talked about more openly because people will you know no holds barred talk about make their opinions whatever they are the problem with that is if you're doing that with someone and they know who it is then that freedom which is nice in one way can really damage your relationships because some things are just not appropriate to be talking about or telling someone even though they might be in, in your head hmm. an interesting take here and, and we've only got two minutes left so let's try to hit this as quickly as we can Craigster says how come in relationships uh, you know why is Valentine's Day targeting men to buy and women to receive is the dynamic of Valentine's Day off I believe we can shift that now I think instead of, again, looking for love, so women saying, well, you should do that for me, rather two of you making mutual decisions. I do believe it's wrong that all this pressure is put on men to make Valentine's something spectacular. I think it, a joint love fest would work. What would make each person feel loved and valued and use Valentine's Day as a way to reconnect? The, the dilemma with that is, Intimacy, uh, intimacy and passion tend to fight each other. So that good intimacy that you'll have that good communication and open up tends to dissipate that spontaneity and passion unless you do a really good job of integrating it. And that's what I spend a lot of time with my clients is having to integrate good intimacy with passion. Intimacy and passion fight one another. I've never heard that before. Yeah, because intimacy is very trusting very open but if you go up and, and you're talking to someone about hey when would you like to do this would you like to do this it breaks that that intensity that that potential for the unknown the the fire so it it's an art to to merge those two hmm. i don't even think intimacy has anything to do with sex to be honest because i think intim intimacy happens before the actual sex yeah it's separate because, it's, it's that yeah, closeness, it's bonding, it's connectedness. Right. it can happen right. with sex doesn't have to but intimacy is that trust, right. that closeness. So right. you have to have that good communication. Right. Um, right. And you could also take turns. So one year the woman might plan Valentine's Day for the man so that it has the elements of passion and surprise. And one year the, it could be vice versa. So there's ways to make it work. A listener here, and this is an interesting text, and I don't have any time to spend on it, but it says, should it not be lawyers talking about sexual things? They and judges make rules about touch or no touch. Only these professions are experts. Very quickly, no. It comes down to one word, and that is consent. If there is consent, move forward and explore. If there is not, hold your horses. Is it that? Yes or no? I mean, is, am well, I wrong? Ultimately, you yeah. can play with that because some people will have those safe words to say no when they have another word which really means no. Like so. a listener said earlier this hour, don't, don't make God, God your right. safe <laughs> word. Our thanks to Corey Hrushka, a psychologist and sex therapist. You can learn more about what he does at insightpsychological.ca. Elizabethmanual.com is where you can reach our life coach and happiness expert. And tessaloren.com is where you can learn more about Wanda Owasiak services as a professional matchmaker. Thank you to the three of you for being here. This has been a great hour. Thank thanks. you so much. You Thank you for being a part of the conversation through this 
this week. A very special Valentine's Day wish. We mean this sincerely, of course. One love.